Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is December 18th, 2020. And this is episode 2796 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Friday. That means it's time for the Expert Council Q&A Show of the Week. And I've got a good lineup for you today. I have number one, expanding a handyman business by hiring help with Tim Toolman Cook. I have pollarding trees to feed your goats with Jeff Lawton. How to buy and reserve domain names with Nicole Awesome Sauce. Powering up an off-grid shop and like a full-on one with welders and stuff like that with Sean Solar Mills. Yes, I just gave him a nickname. And uh, after that, we've got Chef Keith Snow talking about using sun chokes. They're not very solar, but I guess they are because that's how they grow with the sun. And then ending 2020 with Optimism by John Pugliano. And I'm actually going to make my anchor segment commentary on the quote of the day, so I'm saving it to the end today, and it's going to tie in with John's sense of optimism. And the only way I believe you can actually have optimism, and I'll tell you a little bit at that point, too, about what to expect next week. And the answer is right now, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do going through the shutdown right now, but I'm going to shut down, I can tell you that. I am I'm worn out. Uh, this week especially has really worn on me, and it is time for some Rex, Rex, rest and relaxation. With that, let's just dive straight in today and start out with Tim Cook talking to you about how do you know when it's time and the right ways to start, you know, adding some help or employees to that handyman business. Hey guys, Tim the Toolman Cook back here from All Seasons Maintenance in East Central Alberta, Canada. Coming back to you from All Seasons, Maine, where we define what it means to be a successful entrepreneur as a modern handyman, where we share tips and tricks, successes and failures on the road to financial freedom. So if you have a minute, run by the YouTube channel, check out our latest money-making minute videos. A few of them are, talent will only take you so far, effective advertising is simple advertising, taking it to the customer by offering mobile services, and if you don't ask, you won't sell. So back again this week to answer yet more questions from our TSP community for the Expert Council. This week I got a couple of different questions dealing with service businesses and looking after your employees. So let's dig right in. First question comes from Mark. He says, I've been listening to TSP and came across you and what you do. I enjoy and learn a lot from you and, and take on your things. I'm starting a small side job business to service vehicles, fluid changes, tire rotations, minor engine work, etc. I'm kind of stuck on how to determine to charge people. There's many different variables to consider, so I'm wondering whether it's better to charge by the job or per hour. I'm confident of my work and don't know how to match up the job and fees. Thanks for your input and keep up the good work that you do. So Mark, thanks for reaching out. I love hearing about guys like you starting their side hustles. Without knowing everything about what you're going to offer, I'm sure we can still figure this out. Are you going to offer the oil changes, etc. at your place, or are you going to a customer's location? What are you offering to set yourself apart from the quick lube style businesses? What is the going rate for those services in your area? All of these are questions you can ask yourself to start building a market price profile for your local area. All of that being said, I'm a big fan of pricing by the job, not by the hour. Two main benefits of that. 
First, it allows your customer to know how much they will owe before they transact with you, which can be a big problem when you charge by the hour with a customer who isn't familiar with you or your services. And it's also just as importantly, it allows you to know how much you're going to make. The faster and more efficient a person gets, the more money you're going to make charging by the job. Whereas if you're charging by the hour, you're going to have to get more done in the run of a day in order to keep making the same amount of money. Oil changes, fluid changes, and tire rotation shouldn't be too difficult to price. Figure out how long you think the job will take you. Figure out how much that you're more than comfortable making as an hourly rate. Adjust for expenses and price accordingly. You can always call quick lube places and price check as well, but you're offering your personal service. So set yourself apart, know what you're worth, and charge accordingly. Fill me in on more of what you're going to offer. I want to hear about it. What all are you going to offer? What overhead will you have? How are you going to find the customer? But you're going to kick it with this. Absolutely. So the second question comes from Jonathan in PA. He runs a handyman construction business and has recently hired his first employee. And he asks, so I hired someone to work for me. He's been great. It's been awesome. He's a great guy, a blessing to me in the business. But I'm nervous for the winter, for making money. I don't know what winter's going to be like for the business. Last year it was great, but it was a bit slow. Now I have a guy i got to make sure is making money. I want to do snow removal like sidewalks and driveways, but my truck can't get a plow on it because it's older. I want to keep this truck for him so I can get another truck. I'm not sure how to make sure money is coming in besides the methods I've been doing, and I'm not sure how to promote for snow removal. And I don't want to lose this guy because he's young, just like me, and I'm trying to build the foundation for my business so we can keep growing and moving forward. So guys, before I dig into the question, I just got to say, if anyone is nervous about starting your own thing, look at Jonathan. He is just 20 years old, and he has some solid success under his belt already, and he's even hired an employee. So if you need motivation, don't look any further than him. First off, always remember you come first. Always. No matter how much you want to take care of your guys, if you don't make money, they don't make money. So if it ever comes down to it and you can't afford someone, then you've got to let them go. I'm not saying this will happen, but you always got to keep that in mind. I had a good buddy who's a contractor came to me with the same thing a couple of Christmases ago, and I told him the same thing. If you don't eat, they don't eat. Simple as that. I don't want to sound mean, but it is true. So that being said, sounds like you got a good guy working for you, and if it were me, I would be looking for good recurring income streams. But what works for me in Alberta might not work exactly the same way for you in PA. But I'll tell you a few things about what worked for me. For a long time, my wife lived on the local community Facebook pages. She would respond to any and all posts of people looking for snow removal. She single-handedly built my snow customer base. I'm not a huge fan of spending money on advertising, especially early on, but I recently tried a Facebook ad for my small town and picked up a couple more snow removal customers. Cost me about 40 bucks. That could be an option too. Are there any other services that you could offer in your area to keep the money flowing? Hanging Christmas decorations is one. Uh, property management is big too. Lots of empty rental houses that you could look after. I've got three properties right now that need to be checked on every three days because of insurance requirements. Take your business card to local realtors as well as donuts and cookies never hurt. People are always calling realtors asking if they know anyone able to look after properties or fix up things. Facebook pages that list rentals is a great place to get into contact with landlords as well. I think I might have ran just a bit long, guys, so I'm going to end it here. If you got a minute, drop by my YouTube channel at allseasonsmain.com. Keep the questions coming. Send them to Jack or 
add me on MeWe, Facebook, Messenger, and send them to me there. And as always, guys, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. Great stuff on a lot of different things and really good stuff to be thinking about going into the holidays and starting up that side hustle or that business or some sort of entrepreneurial activity going into 2021 if you have not already done so. Next up, you got to feed your goats. You can feed them with trees. Did you know that? You can. Well, let's talk about pollarding and how to pollard your trees for goats. Hi, Jeff Lawton here coming to you from Australia, and it's hot and steamy in summer here as we kick into December. Um, and uh, we have a question here about goats and uh, the uh, height of coppice or pollard trees. Well, coppice is close to the ground and pollard is above the ground, usually well above. And the question relates to uh, the grazing off of, um, well, forage, really. Goats prefer 40% forage and 60% graze. And um, the question is, you know, where is it best to cut? Is it best to cut low so the goats forage themselves, so uh, uh, a graze-off forage? Um, or is it best to cut up high above the height of the goats and then cut and feed? Um, they're talking about weekly cycles um, so that the goats are regularly coming through. I think what you'll find is if the growth is too new, um, so if they hit the, the, the new uh, regrowth too early, they won't like it. It'll be too rich. Um, they need a little bit of maturity in the regrowth to get a good feed out of it and to prefer it. So if your cycles are fast and your system's not that big and it doesn't sound that big, what you'll need to do is cut it above the grazing height of the goats, which is probably just above head height. So you want it so you don't have to get on ladders. That's the thing. If you can get it at a height where you can hand dress from without getting on ladders, it saves twisted ankles and, and the like. Um, and that can be high enough to get above the goats. Um, and then you can cut when it's reasonably mature or got, got a little bit of maturity on it and it's not an absolutely brand new shoot, which you would sometimes prefer them to take off um, if you're really thinning out, but they don't like it. We've tried it. They don't like that. They like to get some maturity in the leaves. I think the alkaloids are too imbalanced initially. So um, that's a way I'd, I'd go about it for sure. Um, because you're only talking about a small area. If we were talking about a larger area where you could leave longer cycles, the maturity could be extended and you can bring them through on the longer cycle and they take it off themselves. Of course, they don't take the sticks off. They only take the, um, they only take the leaves and some of the bark quite often and they leave the sticks. So you still have to prune. So it's no great loss when you've got to prune it as long as it's not too high. Um, otherwise that becomes a right hassle. So they'll definitely stand on their back legs and stretch their neck as high as they can. Depends on the breed of goat you've got, how high that is. Uh, but those are the, those are the parameters you're working with. I, I think I'd keep it high. Um, the thing is if you keep it nice and high, you can walk underneath it without being, um, stabbed or, or clustered and you get a nice bit of forage, um, well, herbaceous growth that they can graze underneath as well. But if you cut it too low, they spread really wide at a low level, more or less shade the ground, and it's bloody awkward to get in amongst it. That's the main thing. There you go. That's my take on your question. I hope that helps. Cheers. I guess the only thing I'm going to add is 
on some levels, goats don't have a browse line. If they're hungry or they really like something or they really want something, they will climb trees and they will absolutely, when you have younger trees, walk them down. And what I mean by that, they'll take a sapling and they'll literally walk on it and use their weight to bend it over and graze off the tops. So if you're going to pollard for goats, number one, you're going to have to keep them away from the trees until they're big enough to do it. And number two, you, you, you kind of at least want them to have you know, that nice, thick, straight trunk up above the browse line. And smaller goats are a little easier to control with that. Just my add to that one. Um, there's a reason I don't own goats. Because they can do things that other animals can't. And, and that usually results in problems. And uh, they're great critters. They really are. And they have a lot of utility. And I think if you can put the right infrastructure and systems in place for them, they can be a fine addition despite how often I hate on them on the show. Uh, I really don't mean that. I just say it a little bit sarcastically. Next up, let's talk about buying domain names, something you might want to do if you have business aspirations in the coming year. Hey, TSP, Nicole Sauce here from the Living Free in Tennessee podcast with a question from Jason. Jason says, how should we reserve domain names for future projects? Details. On the show, you mentioned that if we start a website through Bluehost or some other such site, it will require significant work to unstick from later. I've just started an LLC, and I want to register a few domains for business, but I don't know how to do that outside of hosting sites like Bluehost or GoDaddy. I'm hoping you can give me the process for doing it right the first time. Great question, Jason. I think the first thing to know is the difference between hosting your website somewhere and buying a domain name. Buying a domain name simply means that you are paying a domain name registrar to log that you, Jason, own this domain name, jasonsbusiness.com, and if anybody types that into a website browser, it will point to this address somewhere where your website is built. So controlling your domain name and owning it is really important because if you hire a web host and you hate them and they say, you can't have the site. It's mine, and I'm not going to let you go. You can say, well, screw you. I'll build a new site and go over here. And you just change the address with your domain name registrar to point to a different server, and boom, you've got your website repointed. Now, as far as my comments on Bluehost or GoDaddy for not using them for hosting your website or HostGator for that matter, they have over the years failed, in my opinion, in customer service and one of the things they do is they lock you in and then they upsell you on things that should be included in your hosting, like having an SSL certificate or you get lots of traffic and they're like, meh, we're not going to let you have that much traffic. Or they put you on the same space as a noisy neighbor who's serving up porn and then you get blacklisted because somebody else on that shared hosting environment has porn and then you get tagged as porn. You see how that can go terribly wrong? I have done more work since coming into the TSP community, just unscrewing people's websites from stuff like this than in all of the years previous to the last couple of years with y'all. So don't host your site with Bluehost. Don't host your site with HostGator. I know some of you listening are having no problems with those guys. I'm glad that you're not having problems. Domain name registration, on the other hand, there's there's a service out there called Namecheap.com. You can go there, register your domain name, and as long as you keep your username and password, you can get in and tell it to point to any address you want. And then if you decide to go to WP Engine or get a host now or one of the other hosts that are good, you just log in, 
put that information in there, boom. Or you give your web developer login access, they go in, they point it, it's easy peasy, okay? GoDaddy as a domain name registrar, I actually don't have a problem with that. They do a good job at the domain name registration level. I have just had problems with them on the hosting side. Bluehost is the same way. For domain name registration, I haven't had problems. It's only when we come into website hosting that I have problems. So hopefully that helps you get started. I think it's a great idea if there are two or three names that you have to just go spend the, you know, 11 to 20 bucks it's going to cost you per domain name to grab them. And then when you decide what your website's going to be, you already have it. Because there's nothing less fun than saying, I'm going to start Holler Roast Coffee. And then I'm like, oh, good. Holler Roast Coffee is available. Then I start my business. I forget about it. I don't register it. Somebody else registers it. And then the day I want to build my website, it's no longer available. That's a big boo. So when you start a business, if you can, get your domain name, get your social media usernames. So if it's jasonsbusiness.com and then your Jason's Business on Twitter and your Jason's Business on MeWe and your Jason's Business on Parler and your Jason's Business on Facebook and any of the other things you're going to use, you just grab them. You don't even have to do anything with them. Then nobody else can have them. And that sets you up later to be able to do some of that social media marketing without standing on your head to come up with a username that is no longer available. Hope this helps you out, Jason. Guys, if you want to know more about me, you can check out my podcast website, livingfreeintennessee.com. And of course, you can always get awesome coffee delivered to your door if you are in the United States or a military address at hollerroast.com. Make it a great week. My one addition here is be careful with domain names. You can spend a lot of money on domain names you're never going to use. So uh, I am a recovering domain collector addict, and uh, I occasionally go to meetings where we have shitty coffee and discuss our addiction and giving up our addiction to domain collection. Just going to kind of put that out there. So having some domain names that you could do some things with are a great idea, but it's really easy. To, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to do that. Oh. And they're so inexpensive and it's so easy to do, you can end up with a whole bunch you're never going to use. And uh, the days of buying a domain name and selling it to somebody else are not over, but they're very, very uh, infrequent and far between. Next up, how about running a full-on uh, metal shop, uh, wood shop, etc., off solar? Is that a good idea? Probably not, but can you? You can do anything. The question really is, should you, or is there a better way? Hey, TSP community. This is Sean Mills with HackMySolar.com, and I've got a question from Miles on running a off-grid uh, welding or workshop. Um, so the question is, can an off-grid electrical system support a full carpentry-slash-welding-slash-workshop setup? How large of a battery bank and solar or wind generation system would be required? What's the cost? Looking to run cordless power tools as well as plug-in table saws, welders, planers, etc. My household needs also. Any ideas on the size or cost to replicate the quote-unquote on-grid experience would be much appreciated. Big fan, love the show, in the process of pursuing my individual Liberty MB. Hey Miles, good questions there. Uh, a couple of things you need to be aware of when trying to run a setup off of batteries that will have large draws is that batteries for off-grid applications are rated for a certain number of amp hours at a certain voltage. Okay, so you multiply those numbers together and they provide the wattage or watt hours. Uh, the standard is the 20-hour rate. Okay, 
so what happens is, is when they're rating these flooded lead acid batteries, they discharge them at a certain rate, okay? And whatever that rate is, um, where they discharge the battery in 20 hours, that's kind of like the standard rate that they use. Uh, and so a Trojan T105, for example, which is kind of your standard golf cart battery that we use in off-grid applications, you know, smaller off-grid applications, um, is going to have a 20-hour rating of 225 amp hours, all right? Uh, but when you, but the thing to remember when talking about flooded lead acid batteries is, is that the higher the amperage you're pulling from the batteries, the lower the total amp hours you can draw from them. I mean, it's a very important to understand that when you drain a lead acid battery fast, you actually reduce its capacity. So talking about the Trojan T105, like I said, a 20 hour uh, rating uh, of 225 amp hours at six volts. So that's per battery. Now that's 1,350 watt hours, right? But it's five hour rating is only 185 amp hours. So if we draw it down over five hours versus over 20 hours, we actually get uh, 240 less watt hours of capacity from the battery. If we're drawing at 75 amps from the battery, for example, to run a welder, our battery will be drained in less than two hours, okay? 115 minutes at 75 amps. Uh, so as we've said multiple times on the podcast, you never actually want to drain a battery. So take all of those numbers I just said and divide by two. Uh, that would be a 50% depth of discharge. I tell people that want to go off-grid with small systems. Uh, if you want to minimize your upfront cost but understand you're going to get less battery life and you're going to have to replace them, you could go to 50% depth of discharge. But for most people, you want to divide those numbers by four, right? Maximize your battery uh, life and uh, giving you 25% depth of discharge. So that means that at 75 amps, if we are protecting our battery bank, we can weld for 30 minutes from a 100% fully charged battery, all right? Um, and 100% fully charged battery bank, I should say, because you're going to have more than just the one battery. The other issue you run into when you're pulling big amperage from batteries is you need big cables. Now, copper is relatively cheap, but when you start looking at a cost per foot difference of triple-lot cable versus six-gauge cable, you're going to understand the need to run your bank at higher voltages and reduce the draw. Uh, I am not a welder. Uh, I have watched a bunch of videos on YouTube of people welding from the Predator 9000-watt generator from Harbor Freight, which is you can typically get that. Uh, below 700 bucks and a lot of times you can get it below 600. Um, I have personally run um, table saws, uh, planers, and other uh, woodworking power tools from um, a 7,000 watt Harbor Freight generator. Uh, if I was going to run a big shop setup in an off-grid configuration, I'd just get a beefy generator and store gas. That's going to be so much more cost-effective than trying to design a shop to run off-grid. Run your regular power tools and cordless batteries off of solar and your welders, your drum sanders, your big planers off of a generator. Um, the nice thing about doing that, you're running your generator. Uh, you obviously aren't going to be welding solid for 30 minutes. You know, you're going to be welding a little bit, uh, you know, stopping, checking it, making sure the bead looks good, maybe doing some wire brush work and things like that. So you could have this run through an inverter charger where when you're running the welder, all of the power from the generator is going to the welder. And when you're not 
you're charging up your battery bank, right? So uh, that's the way that I would go. I would try to look at how do I design the system so that the 75% of my loads that I'm using all the time are 100% covered and the 25% of loads that I don't use all the time but are bigger draws, a electric dryer for example, I uh, just run those off a generator. So uh, that's my advice and uh, I appreciate the question. It was a good one. Um, from a cost standpoint, you know, it, it depends, right? But you're talking about a lot of money uh, to try to get a battery and solar setup to run all of those kind of tools versus, you know, a $600 generator and probably a tank of gas every time you want to work through a weekend. All right, guys. Well, hey, there you have it. Uh, keep sending questions in. I'll keep getting them answered. Thanks. Next up, one of the most prolific things that you can grow, the easiest things that you can grow, and widest spread USDA zone availability, like three to nine, is the humble sunchoke, a.k.a. the Jerusalem artichoke. But well, what do you do with them once you have them? Chef Keith Snow on that right now. Hey, Chef Keith Snow with HarvestEating.com and FoodStorageFeast.com. Wanted to answer Mark's question about cooking with sunchokes. So for those of you that are not familiar with sunchokes, they're really not a mainstream uh, food, but they're sometimes called sunchokes. They're sometimes called Jerusalem artichokes. They're sometimes called fartichokes. We'll talk about that in a minute. But basically, they are a tuber they grow under the ground and they put up um, what looks to be like a sunflower because they are uh, related to sunflowers. So you can get, you know, eight, nine, ten foot tall sunflowers that come from the choke, which is the tuber, which is underground. A lot of people think of it as a survival crop because they're very easy to grow. In fact, these things are super invasive. So um, don't take it lightly to plant them in a, you know, main garden, I would plant them sort of off to the side somewhere because they are hard to eradicate. Once they get started, even a little teeny piece of a Jerusalem artichoke or a sunchoke, I mean, something as big as the end of your finger, if that's uh, left in the ground, it will create a new field of these things. Um, but I think they're delicious. Uh, we use them in the restaurants where I work. So I'll give you a couple of ideas um, on how to cook with them. Um, and also in your question towards the end, you talked about um, are these things keto? Now they do, um, or at least they're known not to spike blood sugar like other tubers, like potatoes, for instance. They also contain a high amount of starch called inulin. And this is the stuff that um, creates the nickname fartichoke because inulin, it's a prebiotic starch and uh, it can definitely create gas um, I mean not to get too personal but we serve these things um, I'm trying to remember which dish we have them on the menu right now and I believe yeah I believe it's a pork tenderloin dish and there's not that many sunchokes on it but we roast them and, and they're they're on the plate set and I had that a few weeks ago and you know within a couple of hours I was definitely having some digest digestion issues we'll leave it at that so that inulin, um, you don't want to eat a bunch of these things at once. If you're going to, you know, grow and harvest and use sunchokes, um, you want to start eating them slowly. That way your uh, microbiome gets a chance to, you know, build up the necessary bacteria to deal with them. But they are, you know, fairly healthy, um, tasty, and pretty darn um, 
I would say, you know, they're, you can use them in many ways, as you point out, Mark, in your um, answer, or excuse me, in your question. But let me just give you a couple ways that I like to do them. First of all, um, taking them whole, and, and of course, they're a tuber. They come from the ground. There's a lot of dirt on them. There can be pebbles, you know, kind of tucked into the skin. So you need to clean these with a like a brush and a clean brush, you know, potato brush, mushroom brush, whatever you want to call it, under running water to make sure they're pretty clean. Now, we take them sometimes whole and put them into a baking dish and cover them with beef tallow or or uh, beef fat. You can certainly use pork tallow or pork lard, as they call it, um, melted, and then you cover them up and we'll toss in a couple of bay leaves, some rosemary, and a handful of garlic, um, put a piece of tin foil and seal it and then slow roast these things not roast but um, i guess they're they're just um you know what would be the term like cone feet so they're cooked in their own fat you put them in the oven about 300 degrees and cook them until they're tender and they are delicious like that i mean that beef fat or even the pork lard makes amazing um it's great. So I would give that a try. Another thing is I, I like to go Asian with these things. So I'll start in a wok with one large onion minced up finely, about six to eight garlic cloves, same thing, a little bit of coconut oil. And I will throw those in there and start to cook those aromatics. I like to add lemongrass to that, which you can find in the Asian store, and also cilantro stems. So wash the cilantro, which is dirty stuff when you get it. And then um, cut up the stems. Don't throw out the stems. Those have a ton of very um, cilantro-y flavor. So I'll put in cilantro stems in there. Um, and then yellow curry paste, which you can find in little tubs. I'll add ye- yellow curry paste. And you want to fry that stuff a bit. And then coconut milk. And then um, your sunchokes that are diced up. You don't need to cook them, pre-cook them. Just dice them up into, you know, like, I don't know half-inch pieces, and put a whole ton of them in there with um, bell peppers, snow peas, that sort of thing, coconut milk, um, fish sauce, soy sauce, a little bit of ginger if you like it, and let that thing simmer, and you can make an amazing um, sunchoke curry, and you can serve that, you know, if you're not worried about your um, carbs, you could put that over rice, you just put it in a bowl and eat it. But that is one amazing way to use um, lots of sunchokes because, like I said, they, like I said, they're invasive. They grow fast, and you'll have a lot of them. So you'll be looking for ways to cook them. You can also make soups out of them, and this is a really um, great way to use them. Uh, we had a soup recently, sunchoke with uh, parsnip and apple, and these have um, a great texture. They get pretty creamy. So in that case, um, what we would do is just take some you can use any kind of broth but this was just chicken broth or stock and then sunchokes um the parsnips and apples were put in there and this was just simmered for about 35 minutes until everything was tender salt and pepper a little bit of herbage in this case it was fresh thyme a little bit of apple cider vinegar some heavy cream so did i say salt and pepper yes i think i did and you Blitz this whole thing up in a Vitamix, and you can have an amazing, creamy, delicious soup. So, Mark, I hope that gives you some ideas on how to use sunchokes. 
or Jerusalem artichokes, and just be careful not to eat too many of them at once. And, uh, I mean, I do kind of encourage people to grow them because they're easy to grow, but just be very careful about the invasive issue, like I said. So with that, it's been Keith Snow from Harvest Eating and Food Storage Feast. Those of you that are interested in learning to cook with storable foods, check out foodstoragefeast.com, and um, you can get a $50 discount by putting um, MSB as the code. Hope everybody has a great weekend. And Jack, thanks for what you're doing. Talk to you all soon. Take care. It's a real quick addition. My three favorite things to do with Jerusalem Artichokes. One, use something like a mandolin or the little blade on a uh, cheese grater that is for slicing and slice them thin or use a uh, like a Y peeler uh, that you peel potatoes with, same thing, and peel them raw on two salads. Number two, put them in the salt brine and lacto-ferment them and you will not find that they are any longer anything approaching a fartichoke in three. You do the same thing, but when you do that, you throw some hot peppers in there and spice them up a bit. Uh, or you do a pickled, uh, fermented pickled, right? A daikon and artichoke. That's a pretty interesting mix. A carrot would go nicely in there. And throw some garlic in whenever you ferment anything like that because it'll make it taste good and then you have fermented garlic. Uh, just some additions there, real quick ones. Uh, next up, let's talk about some end-of-year optimism. This year was kind of a toilet bowl year in many ways. People uh, lost a lot of opportunities, but many people took a lot of opportunities. What's going to happen going forward in 2021? John Pugliano has some thoughts on that, and it comes down a lot to what you're going to do with it. Hey, TSP. I just want to give you a quick update as we go into the end of the year. wanted to give you my idea on where the economy and the stock market is likely headed, especially for the first quarter or the first half of 2021. And I remain incredibly optimistic. Now, I know there's a lot of transition. There's a lot of room for pessimism. But at the same time, the economic indicators have been building and improving and moving in the right direction for a long time now. And now that the uncertainty of the election is over and COVID is eventually going to burn itself out, I think the economy is poised for some significant growth next year. For right now, let's just think about what's going on. Even with COVID, as bad as things are, over 3,000 people dying every day, the hospitals, the ICU units across the country are full. We've gone into lockdown and shutdown modes from New York to California. The unemployment numbers came out this week. They were worse than expected. Nearly 900,000 new jobless claims were filed. The Congress still hasn't passed a stimulus package. Unemployment benefits are running out. And yet, when you look at the stock market, what do you see? Almost on a daily basis, it's putting in record highs. And all the ancillary companies that have been drastically affected by the shutdown, well, those value stocks are now outperforming the general market and even the high-flying stocks of the NASDAQ. Just since the election, value stocks are up something like 26-28%. And the reason for all this upward move in the stock market and in the general economy is because things are genuinely getting better, and the only reason we've had a drop in economic activity to begin with is because of the arbitrary government shutdowns. 
things have been consistently improving since the initial hysteria started to wear off, you know, back in April and May. If you look at the data, you'll see that sales of residential real estate had already recovered by June. Copper prices recovered in July. The 10-year treasury bottomed out on its yield in August. And even oil, which had been a laggard for a long time, has broken out as of October. All these things are leading economic indicators, which are projecting a secular uptrend in the economy. And I really think it can hold through at least first quarter of next year. And if Biden plays his cards right, the bull market could rage on for quite some time. Let me tell you why. Biden is coming into office at a time when he still has all the tailwinds from the tax cuts and the other things that Trump had put into place to drive the economy. And even if he makes changes in that, it's not going to happen overnight. It'll take a while to trickle through the economy, and I don't think he's going to make any major changes. Oh, I think he's going to say a lot of things, but I don't think he's going to come out and do anything that's overly detrimental to the economy. The Democrats didn't win by the big blue wave that they thought they were going to have. It wasn't a tsunami. It was nothing more than a ripple. If they have any sense at all, they've got to govern with moderation. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if Joe Biden mimics the triangulization that Bill Clinton did throughout his presidency. And if Biden does that, if he triangulates and he tells the left what they want to hear, but he just gives it lip service and he doesn't do any type of draconian major policy changes, particularly with tax policy and with restrictions on small businesses, then I think he can allow this economy to rip forward because look at all the pent-up demand. Everybody wants to get out and travel. They want to go on vacation. They want to go to amusement parks. They want to go to movie theaters. They want to go out to dinner at restaurants. The Democrats were overly eager to shut down the economy when it was on Trump's watch. But now that they're responsible for the economy, I really think they're going to back off. And if they do, it'll open up the floodgates for the service sector, the hospitality, the travel, the transportation sector. All that pent-up demand will hit the economy in the spring, in the summer, and carry on through the fall of 2021. And again, if Biden moderates... If he triangulates like Bill Clinton, then with all the low interest rates and the easy monetary policy coming out of the Federal Reserve, this bull market could keep on raging for another two years, and that would allow the Democrats to go into the midterm elections in 2022 with a lot of political capital. They could increase their seats in the House. They could take over the Senate, and then that would give them the political might to come in in 2023 and let loose with all their draconian policies. Well, hey, I know I'm painting a really rosy picture here, at least for the next three to six months for sure, and then possibly extending over the next two years. It may or may not work out. I take things day to day. I look at the economic data. And for right now, it is looking good despite all the negativity. So, hey, it's been a great year for me. I hope it's been fantastic for you as well. I want to wish everybody a happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas. I'm looking forward to coming back and seeing you in the new year. You can follow me at investablewealth.com and at the Wealthsteading Podcast. Until next year, this is John Pugliano for the Expert Council. I'll just say that John's view of the economy, and I hope he's right, is better than mine. 
He's more optimistic than I am. And it doesn't have a lot to do with Biden. I kind of agree with most of what he said about Biden. In fact, I would say Biden is highly likely to do even less than John thinks. Maybe. It depends. I think that all comes down to Georgia. I think that what you need to get Joe Biden the moderate, because Joe Biden's going to do whatever Joe Biden is kind of directed to do. Joe Biden is not really a president, less so than most presidents. Uh, Joe Biden is a mouthpiece. Joe Biden is a puppet with a, with a hand in his ass. But he also still has the power of the presidency, or he will soon. I, I know a lot of you are holding on because the orange man's going to pull it out. I, I really don't think so, and I really think it's time to stop believing that that's going to happen. It's time to stop believing in Santa. You're a grown man, all right? So that's probably not going to happen. And uh, But if, if Georgia goes the way that it probably will, which is Georgia will remain uh, a two-Republican Senate state, and Joe Biden has to work against an opposition Senate, then that gives him cover, and he'll probably do exactly what, and even more so, what Mr. Pugliano says there. However, if the Democrats pull a rabbit out of the hat, two in fact, and end up with a tied Senate, and of Vice President Harris as the deciding vote in the Senate. It removes all cover from not doing all the things that he talks about doing. And if you end up in that situation, you will end up with, if nothing else, massive increases in taxation and onerous um, new regulations on emissions and things like that. I think the actual gun control thing is less a threat than people think because there are... A, a, a few, at least, uh, non-gun-grabber-type Democrats out there. So um, the Senate is a more conservative body, even when you're looking at Democrat senators. Uh, people like Joe Manchin, for in instance, is, are not going, unless you know they get strong-armed or something, uh, you would not expect, under normal circumstances, that they would vote for massive gun control. Uh, you just just would not expect that out of he and a couple other folks. Um, though we have some turncoat Republicans, so you never know. Um, I'm just going to say, you, you'll get my guns after you get the bullets. All right? We'll leave it at that. All right, so now, let's move into my uh, segment for today. And it kind of blends into Mr. Pugliano's, because I'm actually very optimistic about the future. Uh, and next year, and next week, and tomorrow. But I'm optimistic about it because of controlling my own destiny and not participating in this freaking puppet show uh, that everybody else seems to, to feel a need to participate in and pick a side on. And so my quote of the day for you today that I usually lead the show off with, I'll finish with today instead, was by Jim Run. And Jim said, It is the set of the sails, not the direction of the wind, that determines which ways we will go. Which way we will go. I, I could not pick a better quote to end the regular season, the regular year of TSP on. Again, there'll be something next week. I don't know exactly what yet. I think I've decided that Miyagi Morning's recap podcast will run Monday, uh, and I'll figure out something else for the rest of that week. And, and the other week between now and New Year's, I don't know what's going to happen yet. I'm Again, I'm tired. I don't know. But I do know that whatever happens will be controlled by me. I'm the one that will make the decisions of what I'm going to do and what I'm going to do with my family and for my family. Uh, 
going into this shutdown, coming back on the other side of the year, hitting January hard with TSP and Miyagi mornings and all that stuff once again, I, I control that. Nobody but me. No matter which way the winds blow, it's my ship, they're my sails, and I can sail with the wind, into the wind, across the wind. There's almost no direction that you can't go when you know how to run your ship as a good captain, even with sails, even with the wind. You can sail almost directly into wind if you know how to run your sails. It's not always the best choice. And we always must ask ourselves, are we, are we sailing into the wind out of spite or because it's the right way to go? We have to determine how we want to navigate, where we want to end up, what we want in our lives. 2021 will be a year of great opportunity, but it won't be a great year for, of opportunity for people just because the economy gets better or what have you. Um, I've heard so many people say, I wish we could go back to when, when things were normal and I was happy, and I think most of those people probably weren't happy anyway. They probably weren't happy anyway. And if they were, they were happy because they had a clouded view of a future that they saw as being, hey, it'll be fine, it'll be great, and they looked forward to the future. No real idea why they thought the future would be great, but they did, and, and now they're miserable because, well, they don't, they don't look forward to the future anymore with any kind of happiness. The only way you could have optimism that's sustainable is to have optimism that in and of itself is regenerative. And the only way that you can do that is by knowing where you're going, how you're going to get there, and why you're going there. And as we've talked about so many times, those answers will change. As you journey through life, things that you thought were going to work will fail, things that you thought were going to fail will work, and your target will shift because the opportunity will change. But we have to have a generalized idea of where the hell we're going. I'm optimistic because I have a very good idea of where I'm going. And I've always been an optimist because I've always had a pretty good handle on this is why I'm doing what I'm doing now so that I can accomplish the following tomorrow, next month, next year, the next decade. When I started TSP all the way back in 2008, I already knew what the first 10 years would pretty much look like. There were so many surprises and so many wonderful things that happened that I could have never fully anticipated, but I already knew. When I got in my car the very first time and I sat down with a little piece of shit recorder and sat it in my lap with no microphone and did the first one just to figure it out, I was practicing what I preach to you guys every day. Do not let perfect be the enemy of the good. All I needed to do was figure out, how do I make the technology work to make a podcast go to people? If it sounds like shit, it won't matter because nobody's listening. Nobody's listening yet. But if I do it, maybe some people will listen. And if I do it the best that I can with what I have while I have it, I'll figure out how to do it better. And if I do that, eventually I'll be able to take this thing that's just an idea, just a thought in my mind, and I'll be able to turn it into something that will give my wife and I the freedom to live our lives on our own terms. And you know what? It took 18 fucking months. It took 18 months from an idea to a reality. Not a reality of a podcast that had revenue and listeners. and things. 18 months to the reality of, I don't have to do diddly shit I don't want to do for anybody anymore at all. Infinity, I will do it for myself. 18 months. 
Now, you know what the difference between those of you who want something in your life like that and me is? I'm not smarter than you. I'm not better than you. I'm not even harder working than you. I damn sure am less likely and highly unlikely to be more organized than you. I just did it. That's the difference. I did it. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing for you to think about. Because all it means is so can you. Whatever it is you want, you can do it too. And if you think 18 months is an unrealistic window, it's too, it's too, it's too fast, you, you may not be pushing yourself hard enough. I see people with businesses still not making money three years into it. You're doing something wrong. Either change the business or change what business you're in. That's too long. You can't, you can't give that much of yourself for that long into something that's not going to pay you back. If you're doing things the right way, it will build into something that's productive for you rather quickly. One of my best friends is a gentleman named Brian Black. Some of you know him well. Some of you have never heard of him. He runs a website called ITS Tactical. Do you know how long it took him to take that business to something that was a full-time income and, 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 and move to the point where <clears throat> he had his wife working in his business with him? Exactly the same as me. He was there in 18 months, and six months later, she joined him. Almost an identical blueprint, totally different business model. Why? Because he did it. That's why I'm optimistic about the future, because I know what we do. What we do is what matters. What we do, how we spend the dash that we have, that's what matters. It's up to us to set our sails. Instead of complaining, bitch about the direction of the wind. Thinking back to one of my great mentors of all time, a gentleman named Frank Madrin. This guy was a Harvard MBA from the, from the, but he was also a guy that grew up as a barefoot redneck kid in, in, in the mountains of North Carolina. That's a dangerous man. You take a redneck out of the mountains. And you put him through a Harvard MBA course, and he gets through there and does it with honors. That's a smart man because he's got the practical, and he's got the, that upper-level business acumen. But you know what he said to me one time? He said, Jack, even a turkey can fly in a tornado. And this was during the dot-com boom. I was doing so well. I had taken the, the, the worst territory in the country for his company and turned it into the number one territory in the country for his company. And he wasn't taking a dig at me. He was saying, you're doing a good job, but how much of it is you and how much of it is just the way things are trending? And he warned me, this is all going to end, what you do now and how you handle where you're going next and being already into the next hot sector while this sector is going to bomb because we know that it is will determine whether you succeed or you fail. Frank was right. He was absolutely right. So when you get in that ship, if you want to go west, and the wind is blowing hard east to west, it's real easy. It's real easy to get in there and drift along, and you'll get somewhere in the general direction of where you want to go. But seldom in life does the prevailing wind match the direction we wish to sail. Very seldom. It's up to us to set the sail. As we come to an end of this year, We look at at a new year. Don't let the fact that the calendar will change a digit at the end of a date be what gives you optimism. Let that which you plan to do, are willing to commit to do, and know that you can get done be the reason for your optimism. And you'll be just as optimistic 
as you are on December 31st and January 1st as you might be on, let's say, May 31st and June 1st or August 31st and September 1st. It won't matter because you'll know you're the one who's captaining the ship. And here's the key. You've always been the one captaining the, sh captaining the ship. It's when you take on the burden of the true nature of that responsibility and see that it's all you or it's nothing that you're able to be optimistic no matter what gale you stare into. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. Song of the day today is a cover song of a Green Day song. Green Day, I, I love their version of it. I really like Boyce Avenue's cover of it, too. The song's called Good Riddance, Time of Your Life, right? Now, this song was actually released, and I don't think it was really written for the occurrence, but um, the guy from Green Day that wrote the song, his, his girl left him and went to Peru or somewhere like that, somewhere in South America, because she had something that she took her there in her life. So she, you know, either be with him or go, and she chose to go. So he, he added the title Good Riddance and then made the subtitle Time of Your Life kind of uh, is a dig there. But there is a, a finality in this song of, of things that are ending and maybe not we're all great, but we're probably all worth it. And at some point in life, you get to where you just accept that these things are happening. You don't worry about why they're happening. If they're truly outside of your control. If life has handed you something that you truly don't control whether you have to deal with this thing or not, then you don't waste a single shred of your dash of the finite length of your life questioning why it happened. You just accept it, and you just deal with it. It fits perfectly with my segment for you today. It fits perfectly with controlling the sails and it not being the direction of the wind. Yes, the year is about to end. We have a couple weeks left in it. It will be gone. It will be over. And I agree on some levels. 2020 was a booger that wouldn't come off. Good riddance. But what's going to make... 2021 a better year is seeing the good that came from 2020 in your life and there's probably a lot of it and if there isn't then maybe you didn't work hard enough and I know that's hard to hear here I know it is because I know some of you dealt with some real shit this year but you always will it will always come and it will always be right at the point where you think wow it is really great that the most trying times of your life hit you. It will always be at that point, when you are at your highest, that you will have to deal with the worst. It is life. It's something unpredictable. But in the end, it's right. And how you respond to it is up to you. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go So make the best of this test and don't ask why It's not a question but a lesson learned in time It's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right I hope you have the time of your life 
Don't take the photographs and still frames in your mind Hang it on a shelf in good health and good time Tattoo some memories in dead skin of trial For what it's worth, it was worth all the while It's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right I hope you have the time of your life Unpredictable, but in the end it's right. I hope you have the time of your life. It's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right. I hope you have the time of your life. Hey everyone, thanks so much for watching. You can listen to that song on our acoustic covers playlist on Spotify and Apple Music. Just use the link in the description or click one of the on-screen cards. Thanks again.